This is Rolling Stone Music Now, and today is Metal Day. Rolling Stone just published its online list of the 100 greatest heavy metal albums of all time. And to talk about it, we have the editors behind that list, our resident metal obsessives, Corey Groh and Hank Steamer, as well as Brittany Spanos. And along the way, they reached out to a number of metal legends to put together their own top 10 lists. And among those was an actual metal god, Rob Halford of Judas Priest. And we're about to be joined by Rob Halford himself. But in the meantime, guys, what was the thinking behind the criteria for the list? How did you define metal? And we'll get more deeply into this later, but very quickly, what, what was the thinking? This is something that Hank and I were talking about. This is Corey. Uh, the, uh, the, the starting point of metal, in a way, was you know Black Sabbath's first album, you know, coming out of Birmingham, England, and they had just that, that really direct sound. And so we decided that that was kind of the first pure metal album, and we, we kind of worked on that. You know, just the sound of those first those three notes that open that song, and just kind of the the history of it after that. And that was sort of the dividing line. Yeah, right? yeah. And so it had it, you know it had the powerful guitars, it had the, the acrobatic drumming, it had the aggressive vocals, the piercing vocals, that sort of a thing. Um, and we kind of used that. I don't know if you want to build off that, Hank. Yeah, and 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 I think in in obviously in a in a superficial way, tons of other rock music at that time had a lot of these characteristics. But I think that there's just like a certain kind of um, darkness to sabbath that that was i think of as like a line in the sand um I, I think that if you take things like zeppelin cream um some of the other music at the time you know again it, it's got it's got a lot of the same things coming you know going on i mean these bands were basically like heavy blues bands or bands just like cranking up blues but sabbath took it somewhere else and i think our our mission was to kind of like separate out that thread as it as as it's like moved up through the decades, and to be clear, that meant no Led Zeppelin, no ACDC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we 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 ruled out a lot of things that that in and I think in the common parlance would be considered you know quote unquote metal classics, heavy metal classics, whatever you want to say. I mean, you know, a record like Appetite for Destruction, a record like Back in Black. Um, you know, kind of kind of we 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 took the stance of of making like fairly strict criteria that that you know helped us to come up with some kind of like to framework that we could carry this through and really spotlight some more of the you know the places that metal has gone in the last say 20 years or something and, and to really get into the subgenres like death metal and black metal and grindcore and uh, you know up to the present day things like death heaven um i think that like making that distinction between you know what we call hard rock and and you know what is metal what is heavy metal allowed us to 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 follow that thread further than we would have maybe been able to had we you know because it, it's like if zeppelin or something is on there it's like you know a lot of the list is going to be taken up with you, you could make a whole list of of 60s and 70s rock you know if if, if, you're, if you're sort of taking it there. sort of proto metal metal ish yeah yeah things like that and and like i i think that you know again these distinctions are are subjective but we we made them in a way that made sense to us and we and we just tried to stick to those kind of guidelines as we move through the decades when we were talking before the show you defined metal in actually the same way that the supreme court once defined obscenity which is uh, you know it when you hear it uh but can you <laughs> do you want to get and besides something that follows in the uh, vein of Black Sabbath, do you want, guys want to get a little closer to maybe uh, a, an actual definition of metal? There's sort of an aggression that we're looking for. There's sort of a, a head, like I said, a heaviness of the guitar tones. You know what I mean? It's something that separates it from rock and roll that you hear in like a lot of like 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 heavier like rock and roll and that sort of a thing. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's a darkness. It's an aggression. It's a, you know, it's an excitement that that's maybe a little bit different. It's a different feeling. And, and I think also as you move into some of, especially like the UK stuff, like the classic, uh, you know, obviously priest and, and maiden and, and, and things like that. Like there's this almost like epic kind of, you know, grand, grandeur to the music that that's just like, it, it's just sort of set apart and it kind of like ties into the whole image of metal as this like heroic kind of triumphant, you know, just, just way of expressing yourself musically that, that, that really bridged off from, you know, what we would call rock and roll or, or, or just, you know, kind of a more like just the way that hard rock would feel, I guess. On the first uh, Black Sabbath album, there's a song, The Wizard, that is driven largely by harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of like sh- shade and light. Of there's absolutely. On there. yeah. And I think it's important to note that Sabbath were a blues band, you know, like, you know, early. Yeah. yeah just, oh. just, you know, that's, that's sort of where all this stuff started, you know, with, with these British bands in, in the 60s. I mean, was, you know, bands covering, you know, blues in, in clubs. But I think that like Sabbath, like they turned a page somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like, like the, 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 the first song in the first Black Sabbath album, like it, it just, I think it represents, it represents a, a, a dividing line in the way that like rock music could feel. And I think that, you know, enough so that it can be called a different thing. And I guess that's what we're trying to trace. At the same time, the number one, album on the list is not the first Black Sabbath album it's the, it's the next one uh, Paranoid and basically the answer for that I assume is simple it's a better album right it <laughs> is that, yeah, it yeah. is how did that kind of work that discussion it was pretty much from when we first started out we knew that it would be a Black Sabbath record the only other thing that could possibly challenge that is Master of Puppets which is number two mm. on the list uh, but Sabbath just defined it and the thing is like the first album is maybe a little more raw and it you know it's number five on the list on our list uh but, you know, it's, it was a little more refined on Paranoid, and Paranoid has a little bit more breadth in the styles that are on there, because Paranoid, the song, is very fast, War Pigs is very heavy, Iron Man is very heavy, you know, uh, there's all this moodiness to Hand of Doom. Uh, there, there's, a little bit, there's a little bit more uh, uh, depth to it than the first one, and that's mm-hmm. why that was number one, but obviously the first album is, is incredible, and we, we wanted to, you know, pay tribute to that, and that's why we made it number five. Yeah, I, I remember very early on the discussions that the whole thing was extremely vague, but we just kind of looked at each other and said, uh, paranoid and master, and we'll figure everything else out. Mm-hmm. Like we had no, we, we, we had nothing. Those were, those were just like the stakes in the ground. And then we moved ahead from there. And why master of puppets by Metallica? Why was that so clearly like sort of the number two or even a possible number one for you guys? There's just a heaviness. There's an intricacy to it. There's a sophistication to Master of Puppets that isn't on maybe the earlier Metallica records. There's a there's a maturity to it that just worked perfectly. So rumor has it that we may really be joined now by Rob Halford. Let's check if that is true. Yes, it's true. I'm here. Hi, Hello. Rob. Hey, welcome to the hey, show. Guys. Hey, I was curious for you, and I, I would say you're something of an authority on this issue. What makes a metal album as opposed to a hard rock album or something else what what is the distinguishing or what are the distinguishing characteristics for you yeah uh, these days it's it's kind of blurred lines isn't it to some extent but um wow i've been making metal for over 40 years so i come from the the very beginnings and the roots of it so i think for me it's basically the simplicity of um the performance from a basic band, you know, drums, bass, um, initially one guitar player and a singer. And it's that um, it's that way that metal became defined coming out of the 
you know, the early blues, electric, progressive rock um, vibes that were going on down here in the UK in um, in the 60s, to some extent. You know, it was by the end of the 60s that metal became truly defined out of all of those those genres. So, so for me, it really is that that very almost kind of primitive element of, of, of all of those instrumental characteristics, the way the drums and the bass and the and the lead guitar, and I'm talking about essentially riffs, the heaviness of the simple playing riff and the, the definitive simplicity of a heavy drum beat, and then obviously on top of that some um, some vocals, but it's it's the it's the the hooks of the melodies of the notes of of the instruments and then the, the singing that's incorporated into it that really for me um, are the kind of base the anchor the the roots of uh, the metal sound. Corey was wondering before the show if you remembered when you first kind of heard the term heavy metal and what you made of it and what associations you you initially had with it. Yeah, there wasn't really a there wasn't really a moment for me because you know, growing up as a as a teenager, listening to all kinds of music and especially the way that you know when when you're in your when you're in your early teens and you're going through that that kind of developmental stage of you know angst and and anger and, and fury at the world and you, you you're trying to find a music that touches you. Um, and kind of hit you with um, and something relative to those emotions. I was listening to um, early people, really like the Stones, but but then bands that were getting harder and stronger, like even bands like the Who. Mm. You know, the simplicity of my generation, and and um, and then obviously bands like Deep Purple, and 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 by definition, we're not talking metal here, but we're talking about had the heaviness of things coming through, and then obviously Jimmy Page laying down those 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 tones and, and riffs with a whole lot of love and communication breakdown. Mm. Um, Very key moment there for that chugging, yeah. For me. You know that was doing it for me, but but so I, I can't remember an, an actual band or or a time or a, a sound really until obviously somebody like Sabbath came along. Um, that's when it became really solid and you had a band to put a definition to heavy metal, Black Sabbath, in that respect. And we're talking about what, like 60, 68, 69 really, which ironically enough is the, is the year that Judas Priest formed. So it, it, it's all around that, that end of the 60s as we lurch into the 70s when it all became very real. Yeah. Did you see Sabbath Live? Like, I know they used to do a play like Henry's Blues House in Birmingham. Did you see like those? Yeah, shows? yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, and it was just amazing, you know, because there was really no other band at the time that was making that kind of noise. And the the top album by your band on our list is British Steel. What sticks out in your mind about kind of making that album and the goals behind that album and just the the general vibe as you guys were were writing and recording that? Well, we were in transition, really. We were moving. We just came back off a great um, tour with ACDC in Europe, and um, 
we were at that time in our career where we were literally jumping off a, off a big tour and going straight into the studio with very, very much kind of little or nothing type of um, things musically. But I think that the hookup with Tom, Tom Allen, Colonel Tom, who we've just been working with right now here in the UK in the next Priest album, along with Andy Sneap and Mike Exeter. But Tom came along, and, and I think being in Lennon's house uh, and just just really coming off that ACD to, ACDC tour with a lot of um, awareness of what that band was particularly doing. I think ACDC are a great band in terms of, of, of songs and, and song structure and whether that filtered into us. I've never really thought about this until now, Corey. <laughs> whether that filtered into us, I don't know. But we went into uh, Lennon's old house with some very basic ideas. And those riffs, like Living After Midnight, Breaking the Law, even Grinder, Rapid Fire Stealer, they all came out of where, that, where we were at that time in terms of our musical development. We were still really growing mm. and, and, and um, trying to find who we were and, and, and what to do next so British Steel is very raw and very organic in that respect so on on your own list we talked about Black Sabbath the first album which is your number one on the list and then uh, number two you put Metallica Kill em All <laughs> what do you remember about hearing Metallica as someone who's already in a very famous metal band and what, what impression did, did they make on you in that album in particular just being aware I think most of most of the musicians that I've put on my list and I'm I was checking the Rolling Stone 100 list yesterday. Um, I think most of those musicians, we're all aware of each other, we're all curious, we're all interested about what we're doing, you know, you know, respective bands. And and being a British metalhead uh, and, and having this great love for America and the culture of America, the rock and roll and metal scene of America, it was just very... Um, very obvious to me that something exciting was happening coming out of, of the Bay Area in general, not only Metallica, but was obviously Slayer and Exodus and Testament and a ton of other bands. So, um, but Metallica would, would, would were, were really leading the metal charge at that particular time with bands like with um, rather with albums like um, Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning and Justice for All. They were just really generating tremendous excitement throughout the country and the rest of the world, but particularly coming from the USA. Metallica, you know, everybody had their ears aimed at the sound that was that was coming from Metallica at that time. And then the uh, next thing on your list, speaking of really being open to new stuff, is is Corn, uh, the self-titled Corn album. There, I mean, there were some people of your generation who didn't like new metal and and didn't respond to it, but I, you embraced it. Why? Yeah, much as I'm doing now, when I listen to bands like Royal Blood, you know, um, um, I, I, and when, when I put my when I put my top ten list together for Rolling Stone, I, I wanted to emphasise this wasn't in any kind of chronological order of preference. These were just things that popped out of my head when I was putting them down on, on my um, on my laptop. But uh, with Corn, I remember I was in, I was in the fight band at the time, and I was working in the studio in Phoenix, and somebody sent me some of their songs. And and uh, you know this happens in music, in all kinds of music. You you hear something coming out of the speakers that is incredibly uh, fresh and. and and, and in, this, in this instance, it was, for me, you know, one of these game-changer kind of um, experiences. So it was just the tone and uh, of, of the way that the music was sounding and, and the, the super, super 
heaviness and and again Jonathan being a singer I'm always I'm always curious to hear the way singers interpret the metal sound that they're making and Jonathan is doing something extraordinary you know so for me when I heard Korn at that moment much like in on the other side of the coin coming out of Seattle when I heard Man in the Box by um, Alice in Chains you know I'm, I'm like whoa this is going to really shake things up and that's what Korn did and uh, number four on Rob Halford's list of the greatest heavy metal albums of all time is Iron Maiden. And speaking of <laughs> reacting as a vocalist, I mean, when you when you first heard uh, Bruce Dickinson, what what was your impression well, of this him? This is the Paul Diano album. Oh, excuse me. So even <laughs> a, a twist, <laughs> yes. a twist. It, it's great, man. It's great. It's great. We're good friends, and 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 with Iron Maiden especially, uh, to see them burst forth so strongly and powerfully from the UK shores onto the worldwide scene uh, was just a great thrill, you know, because um, all, all of us metal bands, we, we, we all have such so many things in common and, and this great dream and desire of, of getting your music out to as many people around the world as possible is still a thrill. And so, you know, we we were just slightly off the off the page when this new wave of British heavy metal started to really, you know, make a noise out of out of the UK and and to see uh, Maiden developing so so strongly and so quickly, really, because there was this in- intense fury of of activity here in the UK coming out of the the back end of the um, the punk new wave scene. In, in, in metal particularly, we were all terribly excited to see all of these great things happening on in the UK, around the UK shore. So, um, yeah, you know, when, when Bruce got a hold of the microphone and I heard his voice, I thought, man, this is it. This is the this is the voice that um, that's going to define and lead Maiden so strongly. And wow, what a what a great band to see them so huge and and, um, and still making great metal now it's just a it's great kick it's, it's wonderful and uh, Slayer Rain and Blood is next yeah I love you know everybody knows I, I have this great um, love of all kinds of metal all different subgenres of the word heavy metal and um, and Slayer's um, term for heavy metal is, is very uh, is very unique and special you know, coming out of that Bay Area um, scene around some of those other bands we've just mentioned, and for them to carve out their own particular style and niche in a, in a unique way was great. And, and just the ferocity, the sheer intensity and, and power, you know, and especially off Raining Blood. And um, the language that they were using, you know, was pretty... Um, pretty um, evocative, you know, pretty strong, <laughs> and, and saying, a lot of, saying a lot of things that, that, that I love to hear that, those kinds of bands say. Um, just, just great. And again, again live. So the, the great thing about these bands that, 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 that are on the, the 100 Rolling Stone list, but particularly the ones I, I hope I've, I've picked from, from my top 10, you've got to go see these bands live, you know. Mm. It's one thing to hear a band coming out the speakers or in your, your ears, but to, you, you have fans, whatever. But to go and see them live is is really the the, the essence of, of of what a band is. Because you can do all kinds of things in the studio, but to take a band live is is the real 
is the real moment of, of, of purity. And if you see Slay alive, it's just, it's crazy, you know, I love that band. Yeah, I was going to say, too, the next album is Pantera. The thing that was interesting to me about that one is that was around when you worked with them, too, like slightly after that, you did the Light Comes Out of Black song. Uh, what do you remember about the first time that you heard Cowboys from Hell? Like, how did you discover this band? Well, I'll, I'll quickly tell you the boring story everybody knows. <laughs> um, I, I, I was, the priest was up in in, um, in Toronto rehearsing for the 91 Painkiller tour, and I was in the hotel and watching the TV. And Dimebag was on on, a, on the Much Music TV channel, and he was wearing a British Steel T-shirt. And I was listening <laughs> to him talk. I had no idea who Pantera was, and listening to him talk. And then they, they played a few clips. And I'm like, man, what is this? This is crazy. So I uh, called the station, said, you know, is he still there? Yeah. I jumped in a cab, went over. We met for the first time, and much like whenever you met Dimebag. He was a friend instantly, very accessible, very warm, very beautiful in the way he talked about music and people. So we became instant friends and Pantera was playing that night at the club in, in Toronto and I just went out and hung with him, you know, and I saw them play and I'm just, you know, pinned against the wall. There was only a few people there and Pantera was still, you know, kind of in that groundbreaking mode. But... Um, to, to watch that band at that moment playing to just a you know a small bunch of people but playing like they were playing to a thousand hundred thousand a million people with such such conviction was again like corn you know like slayer you know game changing bands and um i was so so thrilled with what i saw and, and heard and hanging out with the guys we um we took pantera with us on the painkiller tour of Europe, and uh, I used to love standing on the side of the stage and watching them go out. So, like, you play Paris, and then I'd stand on the side of the stage and watch the band go on, and everybody's like, "Who is this band?" You know, and nobody had heard of them. And this is the balls that the band had. They would walk out onto a stage, "We are Pantera," and they listen to this, and they would just <laughs> tear the place apart. And within 20, 20 minutes, by the end of their set. 30 minutes by the end of their set, the room was in was a shambles. You know, the the, the venue was just chairs were flying, people were people in making pits, and it was extraordinary. It was great memories from that moment of Pantera on the Cowboys from Hell release. Well, Rob Halford, thanks so much for joining us. We, we couldn't have had someone better to join us to talk about the greatest metal albums of all time. And you're listening to Rolling Stone music now. And we'll be back with a lot more metal. So we were going through our own list. Uh, number one is Black Sabbath Paranoid. Number two is Metallica, Master of Puppets. Number three is uh, Judas Priest, British Steel. And we had the, the lead singer of that album talking about it, which is pretty cool. And number four is Iron Maiden, Number of the Beast. So what is it about that album? It You know, obviously you have... Bruce Dickinson in some ways kind of being like the herb metal vocalist. It's like, oh yeah, Robert Plant went here, I'm going here. That's part of the thing. He had that and, whole operatic thing. Yeah. You know, he you know, his his nickname was Bruce Air Raid Siren Dickinson, <laughs> you know what I mean? He he had that that totally like commanding presence. And then when you paired that with Iron Maiden's songwriting at the time, which were these long, epic, intricate, orchestral almost songs like Hallowed Be Thy Name, you know, you know, it, it just blended perfectly with that. But at the same time, he had this kind of forceful quality that would work with a run to the hills. Uh, and it just was the perfect marriage of that. And also, you know, I, I think, it, I don't know if I 
did this in my interview with Lars Ulrich recently, but I think he was saying that that was also one of the first albums where uh, there weren't ri- lyrics already written. He wasn't going to have to sing Paul Diano's lyrics where Bruce could just create his own sound and his own thing. And it just all congealed into this amazing record. What else about that album? Hang? I mean, I guess like Corey said, Iron Maiden, it does represent like the, the pinnacle of like, just sort of like drama and metal. I mean, obviously there's things like Dio, which you'll see later on the list and, and, you know, Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell and, and, and things like that. But I think that like Bruce Dickinson's arrival, like it, it set like a paradigm for a certain type of, of metal performance. And I think that, you know, we talked about this, it, one of the criteria we mentioned earlier was like a certain kind of darkness and Iron Maiden is not necessarily the band that they have like a whole other thing going on. I think this is sort of evident in later albums like Power Slave where there's just like a really like triumphant quality to, to, to Iron Maiden that, that allows them to like fill stadiums all over the world as they still do now. I think that that whole strain of metal, you know, where, where, where the drama is so amplified is you know, as opposed to trying to like scare you or something, they're trying to sort of like, you know, get your blood pumping and like inspire you. It's not, it's not like Sabbath where it's like this depressing, bleak, you know, it just extremely grim thing. It's, it, it changes metal into like, you know, an ins- like an inspiring force or something like that. Yeah. I think that's what made it. It also helps that you have Bruce, who's like the most interesting man in metal. He fences, he flies planes, right. he, you know, does dog fights. You know, <laughs> he lives that that what that that feeling that you're talking about. It is funny if you meet Bruce Dickinson. He's like the least sort of satanic dude on the planet, and yet there <laughs> there was a, a tendency towards that that subject matter. Look at the number of the beast. Yeah, six six six. Next on the list is uh, Black Sabbath's uh, self titled album, which we we talked about a little bit. And uh, next is, is Slayer, Rain and Blood. So why Slayer and why that album? It's just the most intense thing. You know, obviously there are heavier records, there are more extreme records, there are grittier records, but there's just something about the intensity of Rain and Blood that you just don't hear on any other record, no matter how much people put into it. The fact that it starts at, I think, at like 210 BPM, <laughs> but just like with Rain and Blood, and you just, it's like... It, just rattles you and it just it doesn't let up at all for 28 or 29 minutes which feels like an hour because it's just so much and 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 i think there was also something that we mentioned in the in the the blurb that Corey wrote for that which was the the rick rubin production um it's just a huge like turning of the page in terms of how metal sounded on record i mean you can listen to earlier slayer records and they're intense and they're very good but they don't have this I mean, they're, they're, the Rain and Blood has a vi- like a violence and an in-your-face quality to the sound. It's direct. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it, it it definitely set a bar for for just like you know the drums are just so clear and you know Dave Lombardo obviously basically like Dave Lombardo being kind of like the quintessential fast mm. metal drummer of all time. I mean, he, he's kind of like, and, and I think, you know, other drummers will tell you this, but I, I mean, in, in terms of just like that, that sort of like thrash bar being set, playing extremely fast double bass, just with like pummeling, relentless force, like Dave Lombardo is the king of that. And Rain in Blood is like the album where, you, you 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 know you could just feel that from from the you know for, as soon as the record starts it's like the drums are just like front and center and a fun fact about that that you might remember from the Rick Rubin my life and songs we did is he actually turned up the drums on that and that was one of the first albums he did that he stripped away all of the reverb so you could actually yeah. hear what everyone was playing and that's why you get a song like Angel of Death or, or Raining Blood that is just so direct mm-hmm. in fact let's hear uh, the opening track from Slayers and Rain and Blood which is Angel of Death. Meaning of pain, the way that I want you to die. Slow down, immense decay. 
So you guys are sure that's metal? Uh, <laughs> might, might be easy listening. <laughs> um, so next on the list, Motorhead No Remorse. And that's actually a compilation album. Is, is the it, only compilation yeah. album on this list. So how did we end up there? We couldn't, well, part of, you know, it begins with what Motorhead album do you pick? There are just so many incredible ones. There's Ace of Spades. There's my favorite, which is Overkill. Uh, I love the first album. And so it's just one of these hard things where you needed to find the right cross section that represented everything. And, you know, something about no remorse. Plus it has killed by death on it, which is an incredible song just because of the, the lyrics, uh, you know, it's just Lemmy being dry and, and, uh, witty uh it, it, it has everything it has all of the flavors of motor motorhead from you know 19 from the from when they formed until about 1984 and uh it, you know it's it's all that's the the singularity you know that's the thing that stood out to me about that blurb that jd gonsadine wrote is every you could say that every motorhead song sounds the same but there's a singularity to each of them that has this special quality where if you listen to the song overkill you know it's that drumming if you listen to Ace of Spades. It's just the his the, his vocal hook. You know, he he just was able to do that. Let's hear "Killed by Death" by Motorhead. So, what a Motorhead kind of symbolize in the kind of history of metal? What what was their importance to you guys? I, I mean, I think that Motorhead, I mean, you know, and obviously a lot of this stuff was coming up when, when Lemmy died, but, 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 you know, we were talking about this, this Iron Maiden thing with this like sort of arena filling, like triumphant, dramatic, you know, paradigm of metal. Motorhead is, 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 out, is, is in some ways the polar opposite. You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, Lemmy obviously was a, was someone who was always name checking Chuck Berry and things like that. It's the rock and roll side of heavy metal. It's the side of heavy metal that is extremely gritty. It's extremely the idea that if it's in any way fancy, it's because I think that metal is, especially as you move into the eighties and nineties, the virtuosity of the playing becomes, it becomes almost, you know, comedic. And certainly people have, you know, this idea of shred and this idea of, of, of just taking, you know, the maximal quality of metal motorhead represents, you don't need to make it fancier. You absolutely do not need to like quote unquote improve this in any way. This is just like, you know, it was fine to begin with and let's just roll. It's with that it. simplicity that Rob was talking about on the phone. Yeah. They just embodied that, you know, and then they also had the speed. They had the kind of punk side. They had the rock and roll side. And then it's just, so heavy <laughs> well, right i always think of them like the, writing a song in tribute to the ramones i think it's like a mm-hmm. you know is is it's an important thing because it's like you know i think lemmy was was all about like uniting these very primitive strains of rock and roll that are very catchy and like you know anthemic like bar music almost mm. Do you know what i mean like like w- which is a very very different thing than like in master puppets like Corey was saying i mean you're talking essentially like a like a almost a class especially with coming from cliff burton like it's almost a classical approach to metal and like a compositional one and like very epic and very you know there's some bach on that album right before uh you know uh yeah right before uh damage inc there's a little bit of come sweet death yeah and and so motorhead is is absolutely there's no classical on that. <laughs> it's just classic so the next on the list is megadeth peace sells but who's buying and i think 
to some of the uninitiated, people might have the impression that Megadeth is just sort of like a cut-rate Metallica. You know, that that's sort of a, I think... A, so wrong. Yeah, I, I, I'm not saying it's an informed opinion, but I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of heard that people... And I should mention, uh, for full disclosure, that, that Corey Groh is wearing a Megadeth <laughs> t-shirt right I'm now. I'm biased. I'm very um, biased. So... There's actually a bunch of Megadeth albums on this list, so so kind of explain and def- and perhaps slightly defend Megadeth, especially people who might mostly know them for that for Dave Mustaine uh, weeping in a Metallica documentary, which is an extremely unfair representation yeah. of a of a great man. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get into that. Dave Mustaine deserves so much credit for for what heavy metal is. He doesn't get as much credit because of various things, uh, but he was there writing Kill 'Em All with Metallica. He wrote, you know, three or four songs on Ride the Lightning. He helped develop that sound. There's no... There's no cheap version of Metallica with Megadeth, you know, and, you know, you, you I can understand if people don't like his singing style um, and his voice, but there's a, you know, like I was saying with Motorhead, there's kind of a punky side to Megadeth. There's a little attitude there that you don't really hear in a lot of other bands. On an album like Peace Sells, though, he, you know, he took the aggression and the anger he was feeling and he put it into this really intricate, like we were saying with uh, Master Puppets, it's a very sophisticated album, um, especially when you go into like My Last Words or you go into uh, uh, Devil's Island. There's some songs on there and just the way that they play, there's a jazz side to it. There's, you know, like a lot of Gar Samuelson or Gar Samuelson. I can't remember how he pronounced it. The way that he drummed is very jazzy. And uh, uh, the guitarist on that album, Chris Poland, was a jazz guy too. And so there's just this you know intensity to it and then obviously then they would have this uh a very direct song like peace cells which was the mtv news theme for a long time just because it has that incredible bass line let's hear uh peace cells the the title track from megadeth and he's he's funny yeah he has funny witty lyrics which is another thing like Lemmy too like like that like uh, what do you mean I'm not kind I'm just not your kind you know what I mean he, <laughs> this is that attitude I'm talking about the lead guitarist on this album didn't he then like leave the band and then uh, Dave Mustaine wrote a song about him called Liar isn't that uh, a thing that, that happened I'm not exactly sure if it was Chris Poland or not but yeah there were the, they had their their issues you know this is this is the album the other thing about this album is unlike the first album where they blew all the their production costs on drugs they like they snorted it they they did all sorts of things to that money uh this one sounds good this one is like you can actually hear what's going on it's, it's, a, it's a really smart record next in our top 10 is ozzy osbourne blizzard of oz britney spanos what do you love about that album i think that when i first got into metal like that like ozzy embodied everything that like represented metal to me and i feel like his just entire just stage presence like seeing him at Ozfest you know it was like such a pivotal moment in understanding what metal can be and what it sounds like live and like what it sounds like on record and Crazy Train especially is something that's continued to be so popular and I think that album is just such a pivotal moment in like what like kind of the theatrics of metal and just the darkness of it and he embodied all of that. Randy Rhodes is uh, for anyone who like grew up uh, reading guitar magazines like Randy Rhodes looms large like such a, a spectacular and unique guitar player. He's a god. He is a, he's a, he is a god. You know, he it? came up around the same time as Eddie. Nobody knows who did the tapping thing first. It might have been Randy. And the sound on that record is just so different from what Black Sabbath did. It was so modern compared to Black Sabbath because little, of that a little neoclassical yeah. major key yeah. stuff. Like, yeah, obviously he d- he died very young, and so we we, mm-hmm. we missed out on a lot of 
what could have been defining sort of metal music from yeah. him. So it was, it, that album kind of stands as a testament to that as well. And number 10 on our list is uh, Pantera, Vulgar Display of Power. How key is the fact that this sort of ugly, solid-state tone, is that decision actually key to the awesomeness of Pantera? It's part of it, but I think that it really is just the fact that they were a unit. There was the, you know, Vinnie Paul's just aggressive, like, the way he drummed is just incredible, the way that it sounds. I'm sure Hank can speak to that, too, but also Phil Anselmo's voice. And I have to give credit to one of our former former Rolling Stone staffers, Brandon Geist, who's always said that... Phil is the one guy that just sounds like a man when he's like singing and he's up there and he just has that sound when he's singing walk when he's singing you know host, fucking hostile and all that sort of thing he just sounds like a man and he just has that that masculinity <laughs> that okay. maybe isn't in other things but there's just something about that the, 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 there, there's a toughness to that that you didn't really hear on maybe some of the other records that were coming out in 1992 I, I think that that album is like the quintessential in a lot of ways a quintessential 90s metal album mm-hmm. I mean obviously different things were happening new metal is is, is is a whole nother strain of things but Pantera there's just like a sleekness and just a, a kind of a meanness to it and 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 it, it just I mean it just sort of grooves in a whole different way than than you know thrash was sort of the paradigm Pantera is like let's keep that you know that speed when we need it but also we can like downshift into you know like a song like walk like Corey was yeah. saying it's just like this it's ex- a shuffle yeah exactly just like extreme groove you know well, let's, let's hear that yeah, it's that Texas. It could be uh, Pride and Joy by Steve Ray Vaughan. It's the same shuffle. But yeah, it is the Texas in there. So that's our top 10. I, I wanted to, There's so much to talk about on this list, but one of the things that makes it great is its sort of idiosyncrasies and the sort of guiding ideas behind it, which help bring in things that some people might not say are not metal um, or the one album that you guys define as metal by a band, like, for example, Women and Children First by Van Halen, uh, which is really interesting uh, in the sense that I think the idea is that I, that all the other albums are hard rock, but there they managed to make a metal album. Is that the thinking? Yeah, that is. A, I mean, it is their their most metal album. Like especially when you know, like, sure. everybody loves you know Van Halen one, and there's obviously no slight to that. But on Women and Children First, there's just the you know the Cradle Will Rock. You know, there's you know everybody wants some. It's this. It's got it's metal. It's heavy. It's got kind of this party thing that David Lee Roth can only do. But the the riffing on there, especially from Eddie, is just incredibly heavy. And there's a Melvin's album on here. There's a Soundgarden album. There's also uh, an Evanescence album, Fallen, which for some reason, given all the kind of like idiosyncratic and interesting things on the list, that's the one that's controversial. Interesting. Brittany, I know that you were a big proponent of that. What what was your thinking behind including this album? I mean, for a lot of the same reasons that Corey and Hank outlined very early on, I think that Evanescence does embody a lot of what metal has always been i mean there is the darkness and also we didn't really get into like the mythology behind a lot of the lyrics and the stories in you know a lot of early sabbath and um dio and a lot of these bands have these very like mythological kind of grandiose stories that they're telling a lot of their songs um and i think that evanescence they embody a lot of what metal has always been and their sound was definitely obviously like very new metal leaning it was very gothic um kind of the alt metal scene that was going on in the early 2000s and I mean, with Amy Lee's voice, that's really in line with Bruce Dickinson. That's in line with Ronnie James Dio. And that's the kind of operatic, really um, just like 
powerful, booming voice that she has. And it's also very unapologetically feminine, which, um, I mean, metal is also very defined by machismo and by, you know, masculinity. And I think something like Evanescence that also broke through the mainstream, I think Fallen really represents what where metal was going in the early 2000s. Fair enough. There's just other stuff that's really interesting. Uh, Faith No More's Angel Dust, an album I've always loved, um, and that it always was seen as kind of a proto new metal album, but you guys decided it was in fact a metal album. What was the thinking there, and how much was there any question whether that should be included? I think Hank maybe questioned a little bit. I didn't have a problem. Do you want to explain Hank and what swayed you? Um, I mean, you know, I, I think that I think that Mike Patton, uh, I, I guess, just as sort of like a creative force, like like he he's obviously. He's someone who really represents this this kind of like oddball streak in metal. That that there's there's a whole movement that 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 just kind of springs from from him. And I, I think especially looking forward into his project Phantom Us, where he really just sort of like was like slicing and dicing metal into this weird avant-garde composery thing that uh, our colleague Chris Weingarten had sort of cited. Another record on this list, uh, Naked City, was a big influence on Mike Patton. Anyway, but but I, I think that that Faith No More represents like a John Zorn. Yeah, a yeah, John's yeah, Horn project, yeah. yeah. I, I think that Faith No More represents an, like a sort of oddball streak in metal with a lot of humor and a lot of kind of like just experimental ideas that has become its own tradition of itself. And Faith No More is a is an absolute ground zero for 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 a lot of people working in that vein. I guess I would say it's also heavy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are you guys happiest that you managed to get on the list that might not have been an obvious uh, inclusion, Hank? Uh, my my personal favorite metal album is is uh, Morbid Angel's Covenant, um, mm. and so that was one that I was you know obviously I was just kind of pushing pretty hard for uh, from the beginning. Um, in terms of this sort of ferocity element that we talked about with Slayer, to me when I first heard Morbid Angel, to be honest, it just terrified me, um, and that's what I want out of metal. I want it to. That's what I love about it is that it's it, it's just uh, holy shit. What was that? And that to <laughs> me that 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 summed that up more than any other like metal experience I've had in my life so that was the one for me Brittany besides Evanescence what's your favorite album on this list um, System of a Down's Toxicity is probably my favorite album of all time but also my favorite metal album um, and I think that and Alice in Chains Dirt I'm really glad that we were able to include them and Corey, what are you, what are you happiest that you managed to get on the list? And you know, what are your favorite stuff? The one thing that I felt like I really had to make a case for, and like uh, as for favorites, the top ten are my favorites. You know, like most of this list are my favorites. There's a you know, <laughs> there's a couple that came up in the the voting process that I maybe I don't love as much, but obviously felt were warranted. But the one that I made the biggest case for was Soundgarden's Louder Than Love. And Soundgarden have been just so mired in the whole grunge thing and the label and all of that stuff. But that is a metal album. And I wanted people to realize that that was a metal album and that it was a great metal album on top of that. I mean, it's interesting because when I first experienced Bad Motorfinger, when it first came out, I experienced it as a metal album. I mm-hmm. assumed it was a metal album. I mm-hmm. didn't even know it was possible with something else. Mm-hmm. Hank, what are, what are the kind of other kind of extreme choices on this list? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, you know, looking at kind of like the bottom reaches of the list, I think, um, you know, honestly, a band like Sun, you know, for you know, for people listening, that's the band S-U-N-N with kind of the weird zero symbol after it. Um, you know, again, another, another one strongly advocated for by Chris Weingarten. Um, but it, it really shows you how far, you know, people have really pushed this idea. Sun, you know, Sun being a band where it's basically like, let's remove the drums. Let's stretch out the, the riffs to these like half hour, you know, drone pieces or something like that. But still, you know, they come on stage in these robes and they're like embodying the spirit of metal while almost like you know 
taking the ground out from underneath it or something like that. It's a feeling more than it's music. Guys, thank you so much for being here to talk about Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest metal albums of all time, and there's a ton of music to explore. I, I doubt anyone reading it has already heard all the albums. And this has been Rolling Stone Music Now. And we'll be back next week at 1 p.m. on Volume. In the meantime, download us as a podcast, subscribe to us as a podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you.